no, no handshake. You know, the pastors, we, we cross, we're like, no, no, but anyway, tomorrow, well, Sunday, we'll shake hands Sunday. How's that? All right. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 8, if you would. Thank you, Pastor Yeomans, and thank you for the hospitality and the kindness and the food and the food and the food and the food. We've had so much of that, and I'm really thankful for your kindness to our family. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, really appreciate it. It's always a joy to be here, not only to visit with family, of course, but also to, to be with you and many of you that we have known for uh, several years, and uh, we do appreciate. I know that many of you have told us that you pray for us daily, and I do appreciate that. And the pastor was absolutely right. So in 2013, the Lord led us to plant the City of Light Baptist Church in Montreal, but Central Baptist in Laval, which would be, I don't know if I could give you a comparison, it would be like Toronto and Mississauga. I mean, it all kind of runs together. And the missionary who was in Laval passed away in 2015, and the Lord led us to take the people that we had and the people that were left at that church, merge them together, and uh, the Lord's been, uh, that's been since 2016. And yes, I mean, on a low Sunday, we're maxed out. On a good Sunday, uh, uh, we don't know what to do. <laughs> so the Lord has been really good, but uh, we need play, more room to reach people for Christ and to make disciples. Uh, one thing that's amazing in our city, I mean, just like most major cities, God has brought the world to us, like the entire world. And we have 16 countries represented in our church. And uh, it's, it's a blessing. I mean, our international banquets are something else. It's authentic. Sometimes you say, could you please label this? I do not know what this is, but God's been really good, and we're so, we're so grateful. And again, thank you for your hospitality these past couple of days already. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll begin in verse number 13 and go down to verse 18. And I want to talk tonight about the joy of rediscovery, of rediscovering what God has asked us to do. But if you're anything like me, my Christian life has not always been linear. What I mean by that is sometimes the Lord will convict me of something that I am not doing as I ought to do. And then I get right with God and I begin to do that again. And as time goes on, well, I am a human made of flesh. <laughs> Eventually things sometimes slip and certain spiritual disciplines or habits perhaps are not what they ought to be. Sometimes they're done, but they're not done like God would want them to be done. But one thing I want to praise God for tonight is his patience. His patience with me and his long-suffering and just being patient with me. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to see how patient God was with his people until they began to do what he wanted them to do again. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse number 13. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount. And fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day 
unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have opened your word, which you have given by inspiration, and you have given it for our admonition, for our instruction, for my instruction. And what I'm asking tonight is that in spite of me or through me, that you would use your word by your spirit. We don't, we don't want something in word only, but as it says in 1 Thessalonians, we want the spirit and power. We want your word to be applied by the Holy Spirit to each of our hearts in such a way that as we leave later tonight, we all know from the spirit how we personally should practice what we have learned from your word tonight. Tailor the message to each individual and that as we uh, gathered, are gathered, and as we look at your word, we would all be shown by the Holy Spirit what we need to do to be better disciples of Jesus Christ tonight. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord has several attributes for which we can praise God and should praise him. He is love, he is merciful, but as we mentioned, he is patient. And I don't know about you, but I've needed his patience many, 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 many times. And God was patient with the people of Israel because, as we see in our text, for many, actually for a thousand years, one thousand years, they had stopped doing what God wanted them to do. A thousand years from Joshua, the son of Nun, all the way to Nehemiah, there's, from, there's a thousand year span, and they had ceased to do something that the law commanded. And when they began again, there was great joy. Imagine, even under King David, they never did this. Under the great revival, under Josiah, the king of Judah, they never did this. Under Hezekiah, they never did this. I mean, name the leader you want. Under Samuel, they never did this. I mean, you can name all the great leaders, and what it tells me, in my Christian life, from tonight until the day I die, there will always be progress that needs to be made. There will always be decisions, not that you need to make only, but that I need to make things that I need to work on, that I am a work in progress. And tonight, as I stand before you, there's something, and I, quite frankly, I couldn't even tell you what it is tonight because the Holy Spirit will have to show me, but there's probably things in my life, I know there are things in my life that the Holy Spirit is going to show me maybe tomorrow morning, hey, Eric, you need to do better at this. Eric, I want you to go back to doing that. And this is going to be the story of my life and your life from tonight all the way until we meet the Lord, because there are th some things we ought to do, or we ought to do better, or we ought to go back to doing. We can't ever think that God is blessing us because he's done transforming us. The fact that God blesses us is just because he's gracious and because he's patient. And you have a great church, I mean, 46 years of God's faithfulness. But would I be so bold as to think that the best days are yet ahead? That the days where God is going to continue to use Bible Baptist Church are yet ahead? I mean, praise God for 46 years of everything he's done, but don't think that God is, is done. God's not done with our church in Montreal. And quite frankly, I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for my church. There are some things that our church in Montreal needs to do better. 
And right now we're enjoying God's patience, but the Lord is speaking to my heart, and he's speaking to, to us as a church, and he's saying there are things that I want you to do more of or to do better or to begin to do, I don't know. But this was what's happening here with this Feast of Tabernacles, one of the great three great festivals of the year. This was the end of the agricultural year, and they would build these booths or these tabernacles, these temporary shelters, to commemorate the deliverance that they had received from God to exit Egypt. I won't take much time to explain it tonight, but in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 and 34, God spoke to Israel and he said, the 15th day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. He said, every year I want this on your calendar. But for 1,000 years, guess what? It wasn't on their calendars. They did not do it. Was God good to them? Oh, yeah. Did he give them, did he bring them into the promised land? He did. Was he faithful to them? Did he answer the prayers of Jehoshaphat or the prayer of Hezekiah when Sennacherib and Rabshakeh were there? Did God come through for them? You bet he did. But were they everything that he wanted them to be? No. When God is good to me, it doesn't mean he's entirely pleased with everything I do. You know, the reason God is pleased with me tonight is because I am clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's all that's good about me. What's good about me is not me, it's him. Because I have so much work that I need to do to be like Jesus Christ. Or I could put it this way, maybe even better. There's so much work that he needs to do on me, in me, and through me to glorify himself. Today, Jewish people call this feast that's referenced here the, the Feast of Sukkot. A few years ago, actually for about three years, I had the chance to be a part-time very part-time, a prison chaplain at some penitentiaries around Montreal. And I would spend a few hours every month at four federal prisons around Montreal. One of them is in Laval. It was about 10 minutes from the church. And I would go there a few hours every week, and Justin Trudeau was paying me to preach the gospel to these guys. It was awesome. The irony of the thing was powerful. And I would just have my little chaplaincy office. And in Quebec, if you're not a Catholic, they call you a Protestant, no matter what you are. So they always call me the Protestant chaplain. And I was like, oh, actually, but I just let it go. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and I would have 60 minutes with an inmate. He'd come in, and he would sit down with me and just chat. I had one hour, 60 minutes to uh, just talk to them. They had things they want to talk about, and every time becomes a gospel opportunity. Sometimes it was guys from maybe Islam or Buddhism or different uh, religions that were just curious about the Bible. Moisha was a guy that I made friends with. Moisha was in a wheelchair, and Moisha was a Hasidic Jew, you know, dressed in black and white with the, the round furry hat, and, you know, just a Hasidic Jew. And he liked me because he said, according to him, I was the only chaplain that was kind to him. There was, he was the only Jewish person in the prison, so they didn't bother having a rabbi in, in the chaplaincy section. But we would talk and we would discuss different things. And 
one day he said, hey, I want to show you something. I said, oh, what is it? He says, this is my shofar in Jerusalem. I actually, in Jericho, I bought a shofar. And he had a shofar and he was going to blow it. He was so excited because it was the day of atonement. So he was in the prison blowing it. And I'm the only guy who showed up to hear this trumpet be blown. And I go back to the office and I said, you know, can we talk about atonement? I get to talk to him about what Jesus did, Isaiah 53. And it was exciting. It was fun. However, Sukkot came around. In mid-October, they have the Feast of Sukkot. And he says to me, hey, Eric, um, would you help me set up my booth? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, we can't have a lot of things in the, in, in the prison, but there's some pieces of plywood, and every year I go, and there's this chain-link fence, and I get to use zip ties, and I get to um, just set up a booth there, and I drive my wheelchair in, and I, I pray during the Feast of Tabernacles of Sukkot. Now, I prayed about it. I, yeah. I decided that, you know what? I get to witness to him by helping him carry this. It's an Old Testament feast. I mean, it has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, but at the same time, so I took him over. I helped him. And the next day, he comes back. He says, Eric, you know what happened? It's in, we're in prison, so some guys vandalized it and knocked it over, went back, picked up the pieces, and he puts his thing back together. But he was so faithful. And we sat down and discussed it, and I would always try to bring things back to what Jesus, Jesus fulfilling the prophecies. Moisha never did get saved. I mean, I don't know where he is today, but he heard the gospel. But I always admired his zeal and the fact that he was willing to, to do this in spite of the, everything that people did to him. But I'm thankful tonight that I don't have to have the Feast of Tabernacles. I get to gather with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we get to celebrate something that has been done for us. We get to celebrate the fact that Jesus already came and that he already, he is our deliverance. We don't have to celebrate deliverance out of Egypt. We get to celebrate deliverance out of the kingdom of darkness. We've been transported into the kingdom of light. However, even as Christians who have our citizenship in heaven, I want to ask this question tonight. What are some things in your life that you used to do as a Christian that you don't do now? Was there a time when you were very zealous at work about handing out tracts or telling people about Christ? Was there a time where you were much more intentional with your neighbors to be a blessing to them and to be Jesus' hands and feet in reaching them? Was there a time in your life when your prayer list was well-worn and it was never far from your fingertips? Was there a time in your life when there were some spiritual disciplines, I don't know what they might have been, but you have sort of walked away from that or become lackadaisical about it? We all have areas of our life where progress is needed. I want you to notice, first of all, with me that we must rediscover what we have abandoned. In verses 13 through 15, they're reading the scriptures. Ezra is reading the scriptures to them, and they find out that they have this celebration that for 10 centuries they have not been doing, and they're bothered by this, and they will rediscover what they had abandoned. Now, there's a lot of believers that when they get saved, they get really passionate about prayer or about memorizing scripture, or reading the Bible. But over time, maybe you've read your Bible through 20 times, 10 times, doesn't matter, and things become a slip. It become less passionate. You know, you get saved, and you want everyone in your family to know what Jesus has done for them. And you are a passionate witness, but over time, uh, things sort of get chilled. They get cold. 
was a New York City pastor who wrote this. In the second half of my life, of my adult life, I discovered prayer. You may have been pastoring his whole life. He discovered prayer. What are we talking about? He said I had to. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. And it became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York City after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife, Kathy, struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her that we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As I remember, it went something like this. Quote, Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss this pill or you would die. Would you forget to take it? Would you not get around to it uh, some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you would never forget it. You would never miss. And my wife said, If we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it. What is it in your life that you know you should do every day, but you don't? I'm not looking for excuses. What is it about you that you need to rediscover? I could testify tonight. There are seasons in my life where prayer is just, wow, I need to pray. And there's other times where I have to pray. There's some times where, you know, I, I, I'm just passionate about sharing my faith. And other times I do it because I'm a missionary or pastor or whatever. And, you know, after 45 minutes, you're like, okay, well, we're done. It, it, the passion is not always equal. I, I, it should be. But I imagine that if you're anything like me, there are times in our lives where certain spiritual disciplines are really big to us. And other times the same thing is... Is there something you could rediscover tonight? Perhaps reaching out to people, the theme of your year. Perhaps praying for people. Perhaps, I don't know what it would be. See, if you're going to go forward in your Christian life, there's two ways you could do it. There's really two ways that you could go forward in the Christian life. You could discover something you don't know, or you could rediscover something you stopped. That's the fact. I mean, perhaps you're here at Bible Baptist Church, and maybe you've not been saved for very long. And when Pastor Yeomans preaches, or Pastor Holland, or you know, Pastor Levi get up and they share the word, you're like, wow, I have never heard that before. Now, I got saved when I was five years old. I've been in church my whole life. And I'll be honest with you, it hardly ever happens that somebody preaches something, and I'm like, huh, I have never heard of that. Most of it, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, having been in church so long, there's very few things that I, I mean, there's some passages I can understand better and different things like that, of course, but there's not a doctrine or a spiritual discipline that I'm like, wow, I have never heard of that. But often when I hear preaching, I say, ooh, yeah, Lord, I need to repent and go back and do this. 
Either you can discover things, and if you're still in the discovery stage, you hear preaching or you hear teaching or you read the Bible, wow, this is awesome. I get to discover that. I envy you. This, that is a fantastic, exciting time of your Christian life. But sometimes, for the rest of us, sometimes we just have to rediscover what we left. Let's be honest. Most independent Baptist churches that I know, like Bible Baptist Church, the word has been preached for years and years and years faithfully. 46 years here. I would imagine that just about every chapter in God's word has been preached at Bible Baptist Church. Now, it will continue to be preached. Most of us do not suffer from ignorance. And the way forward for most of us, just either as a church or as a person, is usually in the rediscovery of what we should have been doing but have stopped doing. The way forward is usually rediscovery. Sometimes we say, well, that's just how I am. I'm like that, but is that how God wants me to be? Well, you know, I'm just a shy person, so I don't reach out to too many people. Well, is that how God wants you to be, or does God want to transform you? Well, I'm just a busy, busy person. I can't help it. I don't have a lot of time for more for, for, for the, what you're talking about, for the spiritual discipline, for reading or prayer. I, I, I'm busy. That, that, that's just my life. That's how I am. That's not the question, is it how God wants it to be? Sometimes you just need to rediscover. I won't take the time to read through it, but in Revelation chapter number 2, we learn about the church of Ephesus. And Jesus writes a letter to the Ephesian church through the Apostle John. And he has a lot of good things to say. But he says, I have something that I want to talk to you about, he says. I, I, I said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Were they doing everything bad? No. Uh, were they taking a stand on doctrine? Yes. Were they trying people who said they were apostles and finding them liars? Yes. Were they loving Jesus like they should? No. They were good in many areas, but they needed to rediscover something that they had let slip. But rediscovering is fine, but secondly, notice in verses 16 and 17, we must return to what we abandoned. I like the beginning of verse number 16. So the people went forth. They went, they did it. They knew what they had to do. I mean, Ezra just preached, just read it. He explained it. They heard it. They were convicted. They said, you know what? For a thousand years this hasn't been done, but let's do it. Let's do it. And they went and they found these branches and they built these tabernacles. Here's the principle I want us to remember. It's not what we hear that brings blessing. It's when we do what we hear. It's not that we know. It's that we do. God is not looking for hearers of the word, but doers, James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Otherwise, we're as a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We have to immerse ourselves in the word. That's what happened here. Ezra gets there, he takes a scroll, unrolls it, begins to read in the book of Leviticus. And they're like, wait, hey, wait, wait a minute. What did you just talk about? 
We haven't done that in forever. And they began. They went forth and they began to do it. So you have to immerse yourself in the Word of God. Now you should do that every day. You should take the Bible, you should read it and ask the Spirit to apply it to your life. You can come to church, and I know the men who preach around here well enough to know that every time they preach, they're going to give you the Word of God. Psalm 119.9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto. How? According to thy word. This morning, I, my devotions, I read Psalm 120, well, 118 and 120. And I looked at them, and there were things that God showed me in those two psalms. Uh, nothing to do with what I was going to preach tonight. But the Lord said, Eric, this is a, an area I want you to change. I want you to rely on me to change you and to cooperate with the Spirit in this area. We have to persevere putting it into practice. And you know what? When God shows us something, we've got to do it now. If... God shows you something tonight, if the Spirit brings something to your mind tonight that you used to do, that you need to start again, do you know when the right time would be to talk to God about it? Tonight. You know when the right time would be to start? It would be tonight. You say, well, we're going to get out of here about 8 p.m., so I'll start tomorrow. Can I advise against that? Because you should start tonight. It's very simple what they did, but so the people went forth. This is a big of the victory. They heard the word. They saw that they were not doing what God wanted them to do. They repented and they began right then, right there, to implement again what God was asking. Sometimes we know what we should do, but we have reasons why we don't. I read a story about a youth group from the States that went to Afghanistan in the early 1970s. This was before the Russians ever went to Afghanistan, before the Taliban took over. And at that time, there was this group, this youth group from a small church that was allowed to go, and it was, they were going to an international church where no Af Afghans were allowed to attend. It says, and this is the, 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 the one writing the story wrote, a friend of mine named Len organized a musical team of young people to tour the countries in the Middle East. With some trepidation, we accepted an invitation to extend the trip to Kabul, downtown Kabul in Afghanistan. Len made the teenagers write out exactly what they would say in that service, subject to his approval. He warned them, this is a strict Muslim government. If you say the wrong thing, you could end up in prison and at the same time jeopardize every Christian who lives in this country. Memorize the words you write down that we approved, and don't you dare stray from them when we do the concert. And all the teenagers are like, whoa, we're in trouble. This is going to be scary. The night of the concert in Kabul, almost a thousand Afghans filled the hall and spilled outside the open doors to listen. All went well until one teenager on the team put his instrument down and began to improvise. <laughs> he said, I'd like to tell you about my best friend. His name is Jesus, and he made a difference in my life. From the side of the stage, Len motioned wildly for him to stop, drawing a finger across his neck. Cut it out. Ignoring him, the teenager proceeded to give a detailed account of how the Lord Jesus had transformed his life. 
Len later said, I was beside myself. I knew the consequences, and I sat with my head in my hands waiting for the sword to drop. Instead, the most amazing thing happened. The Minister of Cultural Affairs for Afghanistan stood and walked to the stage to respond. And he said, we have seen many American young people come through this country. Most of them come for drugs and most look like hippies. We have not seen or heard from young people like you. And God's love is a message my country needs. How thrilled I am to hear you. You are a prototype for the youth of Afghanistan to follow in the future. And I would like to invite you to expand your tours so that you can visit every college and every faculty and also give this same message on Kabul Radio. I will make it happen. Len was dumbfounded. And that night, he gathered the musical group together. Did you hear what the man said? We're changing our tickets, of course, to lengthen our visit. And he wants you to give the same message. And you better not change a word. <laughs> Finally, I'll skip part of the story. They go to this cemetery in Afghanistan where, quote, unquote, infidels were buried, like non-Muslims. Their guide took them to the first gravestone. This man worked here 30 years and translated the Bible into the Afghan language. Not a single convert. And the grave next to him lies the man who replaced him, along with his children who died here. He toiled for 25 years and baptized the first Afghan Christian. And as they strolled among the gravestones, he recounted the stories of early missionaries and of their fates. At the end of the row, he stopped, turned, and looked at the teenager straight in the eye. For 30 years, one man moved rocks. And that's all he did, move rocks. Then came his replacement who did nothing but dig furrows. There came another man who planted seeds and another who watered. And now you kids, you kids are bringing in the harvest. Len recalls, it was one of the great moments of my life. I watched their faces as it suddenly dawned on these exuberant American teenagers that the amazing spiritual awakening they had witnessed was but the last step in a long line of faithful service stretching back over many decades. But where I'm going to go with it is this. They knew what they should do, but they were scared to do it. Probably rightly so. They had human reason to be afraid. But one kid said, I don't care. I know what God wants of me. And come what may, I'm going to obey Jesus. Now, you, can, uh, you and I can sit here tonight and say, well, I don't have the time. <laughs> uh, that person is just so hard. I, reason, excuse, 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 excuse. When the Holy Spirit says, you know what I expect of you. And when are you going to go back to doing it? And when we do, only the Lord knows what's going to happen. But notice, thirdly, not only did they rediscover, not only did they return to it, but notice, thirdly, they rejoiced. They rejoiced in what had been discovered. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day, had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. If you're a Christian tonight and you're not glad, there's something that's stealing your gladness. If you, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, as Pastor reminded us last night, is love, joy, peace, and many other things in the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have joy, there's probably a reason why that joy is being sucked out of your life. And tonight, if you'll discover that reason and begin to obey God anew in the area that is robbing you of that joy, you will have very great gladness. 
A thousand years, they, the people hadn't done it. And now they did. You will find gladness by returning to what God asks you to do. We all find gladness by returning to what God has asked us to do. How many of you are retired? Anybody want to admit you're retired? How many of you would love to go back to work? Oh, not so many hands. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, good, because I have a story to tell you of a man who did. <laughs> okay. Many people try to get away from their day job to celebrate their birthday. One New Jersey man, however, decided to do exactly the opposite. Bill Hansen celebrated his 100th birthday by returning to the job where he worked for 32 years. Fred Hutchinson, CEO of Hutchinson Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, who signed Hansen back on with the company for one day, welcomed him with a birthday cake and a full day of assignments. He says, he says that Bill took about 15 minutes after we signed that agreement, and then he enjoyed the cake, and then he went to work. And he said, I hate being retired. I never had a job where I did not want to go to work in the morning. And Hansen said he attributes much of his happiness in his life to his work, to his wife, thankfully, and to his family. But, you know, here's a man, he's 100 years old, and I'm not telling you to go out of retirement, okay? But, unless you want to work at Starbucks, I hear they need help. You know, right? I, all the coffee shops at our, in our, my city close when, you know, it, it's a mess. You never know if you can get a coffee in Montreal. So if you want to come out of retirement, come over there. I will be thankful. But he said, you know what, if I go back to what I used to do, I'll find happiness or gladness. Yeah, that's a bit out there story about this Mr. Hansen of New Jersey. Many of us, though, would be happier Christians if we go back to what Jesus asks us to do. Have you been saved for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years? They were things you were zealous about and you loved church and you loved telling people about Christ. And when people, when it was Easter Sunday, you couldn't wait to see how many visitors were going to show up. And when pastors ended the message, you had a hard time not peeking to see if somebody was going to respond to the gospel. And you were happy. And you were zealous. And when pastors said, we're going to have a prayer meeting over a special project, you were there the first. And you couldn't believe that other people weren't going to come to pray. It was driving you nuts. Now fast forward a bit of time and, ah, yeah, okay. If we would return to what we know God wants us to do, you know what we would have? We would have very great gladness. I don't know all of you personally, but I know that there are many of us that we would have that gladness if we rediscover what we used to do. If we came back to reaching out to people like we know we should, to digging into Scripture and saying, Lord, I'm spending this time with you, and I want you to show me something for me. Get back to, to praying. Get back and to begin to do what you have ceased to do. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not 
is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, and against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The difference between a life that stands firm is filled with joy, and a life in ruins between two people is one doesn't practice God's word, and the other one does. If you will do what the Bible says, Jesus compares you to the man who built his house on a rock. However, so many of us, we know, we just no longer do. Do you find, do you ever find that Christian life is dull? I know you would never admit to this out loud. Do you ever wish that God's expectations were lesser? Do you ever feel that the prayer meeting is never-ending? Do you ever feel that the buy your Bible reading is just dry? God already sees your heart. Sometimes it's good to just admit it, confess it. Ask the Lord, show me, Lord, where I kind of went off course. Show me why I'm like that, because that's not how I want to be. I want to rediscover what it is I used to do. I, I want to return to it, and I know that I will rejoice in it. Now, there are several people here tonight. It would be beyond my abilities to guess what is that thing in your personal individual life that you need to get back to. If we were to take a show of hands and people were to publicly say it, we might have dozens of different things, or I don't know, several different ones. So rather than me trying to belabor an application and a conclusion of the message and try to, what about this, what about that, what about this, what about that, let's just trust the Holy Spirit to show you and to show me. What is it about me? So how many, what, you're the, you're the word of God, prayer, uh, sharing the gospel, going out in the community, being Jesus' hands and feet. What is the Holy Spirit prompting you about? Doesn't matter if you've been saved for 50 years or 10, there's something in your life that's not what it should be. I can say that because it's the case with me. I'm still a work in progress and Jesus is patient with me. And if God's people, in spite of God bringing them back into the land and helping them rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall, if one day they can show up with Ezra and say, what, did, what, what, a feast of tabernacles? Whoa, we haven't done that since the days of Joshua, but they did and they had very great gladness. I want that for you, and I want that for me. What is one thing, I'm not going to ask you to identify ten, but what is one thing that you used to, that you, you could go back to with the help of God, and it would transform not only this church, if you're a part of it, It'll transform your life, and you will have very great gladness. Heavenly Father, thank you for mercy. Thank you for patience. And thank you that you do not bless me in proportion to my faithfulness only. That your blessing in my life is not an indicator of worthiness at all. It is a, an indicator and a reminder of your grace. Thank you. But Father, I want to ask you to, even though I preached tonight, I want to show you, I want you to ask you to show me, rather, in my life, what are some things that I have let slip, or that maybe are being done mechanically, but not out of a zeal and passion for Christ, or perhaps something that is not done faithfully, 
that I can return to, that I must return to. Would you please show each one of us for ourselves what that is? And we'll give you the glory for being patient with us and working in our lives. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.